We may be physically here, but are we spiritually here? Are we emotionally connecting with God? God wants us to. And He doesn't want us to lose. But when we come and say, Lord, you're making the appointment, I have to open my mouth and praise you. Quite a number of you are getting ready for work. God understands. And even when you're getting ready, you're praising God. That's an offering to God. Hallelujah. You may be getting ready to go to work and you're not able to physically unmute or pray, but you're praising God and praying in your heart while your brothers and sisters are praying. That's what God is looking for. Then there are those of you who can make the adjustment that I will give one minute, two minutes to stop my preparation for the day, even for work. And I will open my mouth and praise God and maybe even get on the call and praise God. Everyone is at a different level and everyone has a different understanding. But what God is doing is He's unifying the understanding. I want to encourage you. There are people from other lands who, the moment the meeting starts, they want to pray. They want to praise. They have to get on. There's a competition between 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 people. Not in a bad way, in a good way. Because they're thinking, God fed me rice yesterday. He helped me to escape gunfire yesterday. Through the night, through the night, I didn't get attacked by savages. I didn't get attacked by some scorpion. They're fully aware that it's an honor and a privilege to come, not haphazardly, but as we heard last evening also. And in the course of many days, to think and consider, I'm coming before God, but you know what? Their understanding is, their preparation is there. And they understand, even if somebody's coming to hear the word, the opportunity is given to pray. Many of them in other countries, they jump on it. And so I'd like to encourage you, while understanding, because I wonder how God feels. I really do. I was thinking about it. I think about it often. If God shows up to bless us, imagine now if President Biden were on the call this morning. Or whoever is an esteemed leader in your eyes, esteemed by the public, at least, the general public, maybe the world, if that particular star person should show up on the call and you were told they're coming on today on the call, May 6th, they're going to be there. How many people would stop what they're doing to just even say hi and to hear that VIP respond, hello, and they capture it on audio because that's a VIP that's a very important person 
just something to consider. Is it possible at all to say, Lord, the Jews used to go to a temple. But when we gather together with the church, you are present. Do you realize this is something glorious? And you know who it is that says he'll be there when two or three are gathered in his name? The one who lit up the temple and filled the temple with his glory, with the Shekinah glory, that Yahweh, the God of the universe, is the one. Remember, it says in Colossians, in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He told Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Revelation, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first and the last. Only God says that in Isaiah. The Father says it. Jesus says it. The Spirit of God says it. That same God, if you were to go to a temple tens of feet high and you're just in awe because you know what? 5.45 in the morning you see all of us coming, hurrying to the temple, the courtyard seeing if we can come in at that time and we granted access, the priests are standing there and we're in awe, we're getting into the temple where God dwells. The temple is gone, but God says, I will be present where two or three gather in my name. You answer God and think how he feels. If he shows up, as they often say, it's not to make anyone feel upset or bad but to make you consider whether you are actually honoring God the best you could. That's the question. The best you could when he shows up because two or three are here. Are you able to unmute and get on and stop whatever you're doing to prepare for work and say, Lord, I love you and I thank you. Is it hard? Are you shy? Are you fearful? We've heard a number of brothers and sisters who have said they've overcome that. I used to be just like that. I remember way back in youth group and different things. Because you're considering, how will I sound? And am I going to pray in a way that is uh, acceptable to the people? But you know what? When God saved me from death, Psalm 150 became very dear to me. Everything that I have breath, praise the Lord. How can I not praise the Lord? I don't have to be the pastor or the leader. I'm a child of God and I'm glorifying Him. As I said, people in other countries, other lands, other situations, they understand God is coming. I've got to open my mouth and thank Him. Now, there are situations where people are sick, people are distracted, as in our situation here, I have to make sure Samuel's safe. I have to do certain things. I opened the prayer, uh, meeting with prayer, but I had to take care of some things and come back. But unless the situation is dire, think, beloved family of God, as I would say to our own children or my relatives, we are the family of God. Think, this is a meeting where God shows up. It's a prayer meeting. It's a meeting where we hear the word 
but we are here to honor God. He gave us mouths. Can we not open it and thank Him? As I mentioned, it doesn't have to be long. It may be just, thank you, Lord, with a broken and contrite spirit, with thanksgiving. I say this, we will not only not honor God if we don't do that when we can, but we will rob ourselves of the blessing. We will get blessed if we hear the word. Spirit will convict. There will be changes, but we will miss another blessing where we step forward and we stopped everything and said, I've got to praise God now. Is it possible? When I had my priorities wrong in certain situations, years past, I would hear a sermon or maybe read something or consider, you know, you can do this. No matter how busy you are, how tired you are, you can do this because it's not only important to you, it's interesting to you. But how come you don't use that same logic when it comes to the things of God? And I didn't like to hear it initially, but I knew it was the truth. And this is why, as I say, I think in extremes many times because it helps me to bring into perspective and context how blessed I am, how capable I am by the grace and mercies of God to open my mouth and praise Him. And if He says do something, do it. Are there those who are sick, you can't open your mouth? Perhaps, I don't know. It's possible. God understands that. There are those who, their phones stopped working. Of course, God understands that. There are others that have a situation in the family that they, they have to attend to something and there's no way they can get on at the moment even though they're listening. They can't speak. God understands It's said of the 16th President of the United States of America, Abraham Lincoln. You probably heard this, at least some of you. The President of the United States of America. And in that day and age, especially someone of his stature, not just physically, but socially and politically, he was the VIP for sure. He was going in a horse carriage to a meeting and already running late. And the story goes that he saw an injured bird on the floor, on the ground. And he told the driver to stop. And he went and cared for it and made sure it went back in the nest. Then he went on his way. The Good Samaritan was very busy, but he stopped. God is not asking us to stop to bandage his wounds. He's Almighty God. We need him to bandage our wounds. But people stop for all kinds of things. It's something that God wants to speak to you. Are you able to glorify God? publicly in the morning is it possible what's stopping you
Is it legitimate in the sight of God? Only you can answer that question. But again, compare and contrast those in other lands, other situations. They're eager to praise God. Any opportunity they get. And it's not haphazardly. It's not uh, like in certain situations that we see on this side of the world where people want to be seen and heard and they have to make a prayer and whatever they want to do. It's not that. They're very broken, but they're excited about their God. And they know because of God, they're breathing and they've got to give Him glory. I have to answer that question. I had to. I know exactly where I stand with that. I'm done giving excuses. I've been done a long time ago. God understands every situation. Praise be to God. We're going to go to Psalm 30. As we're nearing the completion of Proverbs. We see this psalm begins with an individual, Agar, or Agar, the son of Jacob, his utterance. The words of Agar, the son of Jacob, his utterance. This man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Yukal. It's kind of startling. Verse 2, surely I'm more stupid than any man and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. So he's telling these other people, I have no understanding. I don't, I don't know God. Who has ascended into heaven or, who, or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name if you know? Let me say one other thing. There are those who physically they're okay, but spiritually they may be under attack. Emotionally they may be under attack. God understands. But there's a point at which a person is able to break through that and say, I refuse to not give God praise because of the problems the devil has brought. Or even my own sin, I will acknowledge before the Lord. And sometimes you may need to pray silently and say, Lord, I'm going to praise you. I want to pray. But I feel like this. I've done this or I've allowed this to happen. Please forgive me, Lord. I plead that blood of Jesus. Oh, Lord, I believe when I ask you, you're forgiving me. And you know, with that faith, you can praise God. God will turn the situation around. Because praise brings the presence of God where we are. When we do it publicly, that's another evidence to God that we are meaning business. We don't care about anything. We will glorify God. Praise God. What is his son's name if you know? Every word of God is pure. He's a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Two things I request of you. 
deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane, profane the name of my God. So if somebody's poor, they may be more inclined to steal. If somebody is rich, they may say, I don't need God. Surely we've experienced that. We've heard people. We've seen people. So this man is saying, just give me what I need. I don't want to get into extremes. I'm afraid I'm going to steal if I'm poor, Lord, and blaspheme your name. And if I have more than enough, I may forget you, Lord. I don't want to do that either. We know Abraham, Job, a number of people were wealthy. They didn't forget God. They were God-fearing men. They were men of faith, people of faith. They were humble, broken before God. They followed God. This man is speaking. He says, I don't know anything, but this is what I think. Do not malign a servant to his master, lest he curse you and you be found guilty. This is something that people may learn the hard way. A person may go to someone and think, I'm going to get promoted if I tell on this one. Forgetting that, that one is close to the boss. Things can turn on the whistleblower very quickly. And it's not to say that no one should say anything to spare somebody damage. We ought to stand up for justice, but when the motive is wrong and we forget the caution from the book of Proverbs that if that person is close to that person, no matter how good it is what I say, how uh, profitable it is, if I say something wrong about the boss's friend or his close associate, it can turn on me. I have to be careful. So the wisdom is required. As you heard in the prayer, that we need to know what to say, when to say, how to say, and who to say it to. So, God helps us to think before we speak. There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. Now, when we read a section like this, beginning with there is a generation, verse 11, and we end with to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men, we can be prone to dismissing that whole section because of the Concluding verses there. Now this is talking about bloodthirsty people, greedy and covetous. So I guess all of that I can just gloss over. But there's more 
there than just the last portion about the generation that is vicious, fangs like knives. It says there is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. We can have regrets of how we treated the parents, our elders. God is very upset with that. And it goes on, there is a generation that is pure in its own eyes. This is the fatal problem, especially in these last days. Anger wells up. If somebody should point out this is wrong, or you weren't right, they become proud, proud and vengeful and all kinds of demonic calculations enter into the mind of how to get back. How dare they make me look like that. But the person who is living to look good in the eyes of God won't care how they look in the eyes of man when it comes to doing the right thing. But there is a generation that is pure. It's a whole generation. It's a whole group of people. It's bad time. It's a bad time. A generation. Are we in a bad time today? We certainly are. Before the Lord comes, it's going to get worse. It's pure in its own eyes. Our concern is not so much with the world. We know who's their God. But our concern is with the people of God. Are we humble, able to take correction? Are we able to really get a second opinion, at least from another brother or sister? And better than that, will we look to the truth of God's Word and His Spirit to ask Him to search us? Or will we say right away, I'm fine. yet is not washed from its filthiness. In many places, not just the world, in churches, if one would go and quote this proverb, 30 verse 12, and preach on it, the people may be getting restless and look at each other and think, what does this have to do with us? We're not filthy. Maybe he needs to go or she needs to go, that preacher, to some rescue mission where you have professional prostitutes and thieves and all kinds of people think they're in the wrong place. They need to preach somewhere else. Look at us. We're dressed beautifully. And we know how to sing. We know a lot of the worship songs. And we know a lot of the stories in the Bible. In Isaiah, God told His own people, all of your sacrifices to me smell rotten. He said, it's a stench to my nostrils. All of your praise. He said, just leave. Isaiah was among the minority 
who really understood how God felt. But the majority, they comforted one another. You're a great Christian. Flattery was the name, was the, was the uh, operating force of the day. They flattered themselves and they flattered one another. I've seen when we have gone to rescue missions, teen challenges, churches, here in the States, in India, in Canada, that uh, when the word of prophecy would come, Baskerba would speak exactly word for word what God is saying specifically to an individual and to a group of people. The scales would fall off their eyes. And the whole atmosphere shifts because they, perhaps for the first time in their Christian life, quote-unquote, or after many years, leaders and the people in those places and churches, they'd be awestruck that God could uncover things that they didn't even know they had. I would not confess. I thought they're okay. I'm fine. A generation that's pure in its own eyes. But the Spirit of God will start moving mightily. They'll begin to weep. They'll begin to come for counsel and say, what must I do to be saved? These are Christians. In other words, what must I do to be free from this One of the southern states, there was a leader there. He helped us pack up afterwards. I mentioned this before. We had a glorious service. And he came. And through the, he was just full of joy. He said, I want what you have. He said, I felt the Spirit. And I'm going to go do ministry in Alaska with my wife when I get out of here. I used to minister before. And he said, where are you staying? Which, which cabin do they give you? He, he, I'll help you pack up. And God is he's just going on and on and on. And he came to the room, and uh, he said, I'd I like you to pray for me. We're sitting there, let's go overnight. He said, I'm about to embark on ministry in Alaska. It's exciting. And I, we were just looking at him, and I said, something, I don't remember exactly. I said, brother, is your heart right with God? Is your heart clean? And all of the enthusiasm left. He dropped his head. He said, that's my problem. And I said, God wants to help you. Get right. He said, I'm married, but I'm really not with my wife. I'm not really together with her emotionally at all. And we're supposed to go, and she ministers too. We're supposed to go to Alaska to minister together. The story is, only God's Spirit can uncover these things. And it takes us to be 100% serious before God, to know where we stand before God, to be able to be the messengers of God, to go and say not what people want to hear and flatter them. Too much flattery, too much flattery these days. It's sickening. No wonder people are not washed from their sins. 
But the Prophet won't be accepted in his own country, yet he or she would have done the will of God if he or she just delivered the message. God is so good. He's calling people who really, truly want to be true before Him and really want to live with Him. There's a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. The sad reality is, when there's sin in the camp, none of the leaders have a clue or they look the other way. This is typical, we found across the country. Most places, sad to say, where they have extreme amounts of funding and connection with the area churches, such, such a network. They do fundraising, they do everything, and they have the curriculum there. They have, but sin is in the camp, and nobody's dealing with it. And all kinds of other things go on. This is something that God wants us to take note of this morning, if we haven't already that we cannot look to the status quo and get flattered by leaders or other Christians, quote-unquote, to make us feel good when God says, I want you to come to me. Let my spirit check you out head to toe, and I'll tell you what's up. What the real story is. And if you would agree and confess, I will change you dramatically. So you can be a firebrand to start the revival fire everywhere you go. That's the prerequisite. Isaiah 6, he had to get clean himself. He said, I'm a person of unclean lips dwelling among people who are unclean. Notice Isaiah. You admit that. You recognize that. You don't want that. I've called you. You come. You showed up. You come to the right place. What happens? Live coal is taken from the altar. The angel touches. His lips. And he's made ready to be able to say, send me. God wants us to be ready he wants us to know what's happening in His presence. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. We need spiritual eyes to see that. And when we get near God, you know what? That's when we say, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. According to prophecy, there will be a repeat of spiritual harlotry before Jesus comes. In a big way. And it will happen in the churches. It will happen among Christian groups. This land where we live, this part of the world, has resources beyond imagination to build somebody up in Christianity. 
And many, many people have heard the gospel and have said, I commit to the gospel. But the country is full of bloodshed from New York to California. And north to south, all the way down to Texas. If believers were really close to God, the numbers that are there, it would be very difficult for anyone to get away with cold-blooded murder like that. Because it took one man, one woman, in many regions in revival history, to change a society. What happens when you have millions of Christians who can put the check mark? No, I'm not a Jew, I'm not Muslim, I'm not this, I'm, I'm Christian, that's how I identify myself. As God is purifying us, every time we fast and pray and we have the meetings, God wants us to be people who really turn the world right side up. The enemies would say, these are the people that turn the world upside down, but actually we're turning it right side up. You can say either way. But God is purging, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. What a privilege. As uh, I believe Prashant was praying yesterday, he was saying about, or talking, but there's no other religion that can offer this. There's no way you can get salvation or assurance. There's not even that concept about sin as God uncovers the human heart. I want that checkup, don't you? Every day, I'd rather have the great physician check me out and tell me what's wrong if something needs to be fixed. Every day, I want that. I love that. Sometimes I've had to tell certain people who wanted their relatives to hear some of our messages. And I had to say, we'll give them these messages because they're a little softer. Not because the other messages are wrong, but they cannot handle it. But as we get closer to God, like Isaiah, we'll begin to see the awesomeness of God and common sense says that if you raise the bar higher, there's a greater chance that the people who are in that group for achieving whatever goal they have will shoot for more. And on the whole, they'll be more accomplished than the other groups that don't have that higher bar. Isn't that right? We see that in schools. Why are the, why are the Ivy League schools producing more engineers and doctors and people who assume leadership positions. Standard is higher. You don't come there to goof around. You don't come there to uh, just get by. There's a goal. I'm coming here. At least that's what it should be. Things are changing all the time. There's a goal. I'm being sent here to accomplish a mission. That's my main business. But in other places, you're a star if you get a D. 
because everybody else is getting an F. You see? A new teacher, professor comes in and says, you can't even get a D with the work you're doing. And I don't care if I fail the whole class every semester. I'm not compromising. You ought to do better. Or the college itself raises the bar and says, from now on, all entrance requirements have been raised higher. You have to be 95 and above in your grade point average in high school to get in here. But my brother got in there last year and he has a 70. That was last year. What happens? The pool of applicants, the quality of the pool of applicants by default rises. And the pool of students, their work ethic and their understanding of their mission is at a higher standard. It helps the whole school and possibly will put the school on the map. Spiritually, when we get closer to the Lord, He doesn't raise the bar higher. He reveals what the real bar is, real standard is. And this is what is known as normal Christianity. What is it? Fearing God, being holy, loving Him, laying down my life. We hear that often in the meetings. Even last night. To lay down my life so others can live. Notice, Jesus didn't say to the prophets and to the ministers. He just said, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. You see me do this? Go do the same thing. How far have we gotten from basic Christianity? And are ready to flatter and give medals for people who have just a basic semblance to what Jesus said? because they gave up their breakfast and gave it to a homeless person. That morning they didn't have breakfast because they really, really pushed themselves, filled with the Holy Spirit, gave the breakfast away and hurting. Can't wait to get to lunch. I'm not going to do that again until next Tuesday if I can avoid it. It's too painful. What is your standard? The other day, again, the brother mentioned about calibration. And as he was mentioning it, immediately I thought standard, and I believe the next day, yesterday, he, he brought that up. To calibrate means to fine-tune or adjust an instrument or a person. What is the caliber of that individual? What is their quality with reference or regards to certain things, attributes? But the Calibration is only good or good enough if it's calibrated according to a standard. There has to be some standard. If I'm going to calibrate my watch, there has to be some standard. If there's an atomic watch or whatever. And we come close to God. Isaiah came close to God. This man in Proverbs 30 says, look, this is the best I know. I, I know I'm dumb. Now I have these questions. But then you see the Proverbs progress to some wisdom there. And these things are important for us to keep looking at and keep hearing. Because if it's preached right, and if our hearing is right, spiritual ears are attuned to the Spirit of God, 
then it will profit us in our desire to become more holy. The whole word of God works like that. My standard ought to be God's standard, period. Anything less than that is self-deception. How many people are self-deceived today in the churches? Many, many, many. They may stone you if you say that. You walk into certain places. But that's the truth. Because they calibrate themselves, their spiritual barometer, if you will, is checked against a faulty one. Preaching and preachers who are substandard to God's plain truth. That's why many, many, many believers, quote-unquote, even leaders, pick up alcohol and drink it and think, it's fine. I'm doing this out of Christian liberty. And you know, that pastor, shame on him. He watches R-rated movies and his kids watch it, even if he doesn't. And this one watches PG-rated movies and that one G-rated and that one another rated and this one no rating. And But where's the standard? Everybody says, you don't judge me. I don't judge you. Let's go and worship the Lord together. Have a great time. The standard is God's truth. And this is what's happening, the revival here. God's Holy Ghost, His Holy Spirit is bringing forth the word very clearly and saying, you're either with me or you're not. If you're with me, you don't do this and you do this. If you're not with me, you keep doing that and you don't do what I tell you. That's revival. When a person responds to that, and says, oh my God, I've been living a lie. I thought I was a great Christian because I did some things better, I thought, than my neighbor or my spouse. But now I see, I'm just full of idolatry. What a glorious day. It's better to get the proper diagnosis and deal with the problem than to be flattered by a doctor as I often have witnessed for many years telling people when I witness go to a doctor doctor I have pain over here what does he do? he says don't worry about it you're fine here let me look at your chart and as he's filling out the chart do you know I have a, a game next Tuesday would you like to come? Oh, I didn't know that, doctor. By the way, doctor, this pain is really bothering me. I'm, I'm a little concerned. Don't worry about it. Here, here's a lollipop. And you can come next Tuesday. You'll be my guest of honor. A person may walk out. Some people actually will walk out feeling flattered. They say, wow, he's a great guy. He, he really knows how to calm me. And I can face the day. And plus, he gave me a lollipop. The sugar from that, of course, will make the disease worse. But they actually get flattered and many, many Christians are like that today. The devil will just prop up a preacher or this lady or that man 
to flatter them. They take the poison, they feel great, but they're dying inside. Another one will, will have a doubt. Is this doctor any good or is he a quack? Something's wrong, something's fishy. But by and by, they quickly forget and they get engrossed with the other things and meanwhile, they're dying. See, they had an inkling something's wrong, they never took action, never wanted to find out more. And there's the other one that says, that's the last time I'm seeing that doctor. I don't care what credentials he has, how many people recommend him, five stars, everywhere. Maybe he's the president's physician. I don't care. He is a fraud. Because he's not interested in helping me, he's diverting me from the problem. This is why God sent prophets to Israel and to Judah. And they cried. Jonah cried. We know about Jonah. But he did deliver the message finally. Haggai cried out. Jeremiah cried out. Isaiah. Ezekiel. Prophet after prophet. Why did God do that? It's God saying, stop the show. Stop. You think you have a temple? He said, the temple is going to be gone. God took drastic measures, and we look at this as history a lot of times. But the reason it's recorded for us, Jew and Gentile, is that we should not have a repeat. And yet, you know what? It is being repeated today. It's after Jesus cleansed the temple that people got healed there. But nobody wants to cleanse it. But praise God, God has this hearing the truth to make sure we have nothing to do with this adulterous generation. Who? The world? We know about the world. We need to be careful about those who call themselves Christians. We don't delude ourselves and get flattered by anyone. As we read the Proverbs the other day, a man who rebukes somebody will find more favor afterwards than the one who flatters. Why? Because that person was true. They really cared. Sometimes you can be here, hearing the message, be very scared about saying anything to anybody else. But again, we need to ask ourselves, can I keep quiet when I see people dying? Lord, please help me to speak when I have to speak. Maybe somebody's blood will be on my hands on Judgment Day. I remember sitting with family the final year of high school. Older people. And I had a question. I said, you know, the church we've been attending for a long time. It's a liberal church. I just saw in the local paper that the pastor supports abortion and homosexual relationships. And I was told, who are you to question the pastor? He's a big man. Look at him. He's 
involved in the community. He's building homes for the homeless. You don't know anything. I was angry. Not so much that I was told I don't know anything, but the hypocrisy. Anybody who reads the Bible can see the standards are off when somebody supports sin and murder. But how come people who are going faithfully, even reading the Bible, but their own lens on? We need the lens of the Holy Spirit we heard recently. But there's a time in which we have to speak and that's when God can trust us with the message that we will deliver it. And there is a path of the cross. We've counseled people even in this church. All of a sudden their friends started turning. Christian friends, long-time friends, close-knit brothers and sisters, even co-ministers, all of a sudden became hostile. What happened there? All I said was, God is helping me and I'm getting closer to him. Look, he uncovered this and that. They got angry. You know why? The devil is in them. That's why. But all this time, you couldn't see it. You know why? Because perhaps we were just like them. God is calling out a people. Not to a denomination. Not to some institution. He's calling people to himself from the four corners of the earth. Who will obey my voice. That's all. That's all God's concerned about. At the end of the day, it's the one that obeys and the one that doesn't obey. Proverbs 30 is a collection of many wise sayings collected by a number of writers, wise people. We've just seen some of the verses here. And we stopped at verse 12. Because that conviction is necessary. Am I pure in my own eyes? Am I ready to defend my honor? Forgetting about God's honor, His truth, and how it applies to me. I don't want to be part of the generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. I don't want to be part of the generation, God, who have lofty eyes, proud, their eyelids are lifted up. I don't want to be part of that generation. I don't want to be part of the generation that oppresses people. I have to say this again, because it's important. We witnessed this also, many, many places. Amongst Christians, oppression. The moment they get a title, the moment they get a little bit of responsibility and leadership. Many places I've seen that ugly oppression come. It's in, almost incredible to me. I say almost because it's not surprising after a while when you see what they're being taught and what the standard is there. When they're in need, they're very humble. The moment they're given a little bit of power, they start oppressing the others and we get complaints. 
this was a guy just like me. He was in the same dorm. We used to go worship together. Now he's uh, an intern. He's just mean as anything. What happened? There's a lot of pretense. That's what happened. A lot of things underneath. We need to say, Lord, no matter what responsibility you give me, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord, never to have the pride of the devil to ever open my mouth or have a gesture or a wink of the eye or a stroke of the pen to put down anyone, Lord. Too much of it is going on. The leech has two daughters, give and give. The leech has two daughters, give and give. Give me, give me, give me, I'll take your blood. Why is this in the Proverbs? Why do I have to read that? God wants to speak to you, to me. I'm going to make sure we're not leeches. Not offspring of leeches. People who are looking for self-gain, position, power, and maybe money. And that driving factor is never dealt with. They may rise up in the ranks in some Christian organization, but the fall will be very hard, very evident, sooner or later. It's important to come to God for the checkup every day. There are three things that are never satisfied. Four never say enough. What a picture here. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not satisfied with water, and the fire never says enough. This is the state of affairs. It's like the previous verse with the leech, the daughters of the leech. Hell is like that. It's not enough. The souls that are coming here, bring me more. It's not enough. This is to show us the horror of lust, unlawful desires. And the word lust, we use it in a general sense, not just for immorality, even though that's possibly the greatest plague of humanity today. But lust for other things, like position, power, good name, in front of people, regardless of God's word, violations of it. Verse 17, The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. No wonder people in years past and even the founding, the settlers in this country, when the children read the word of God, there's a transfer of a measure of the fear of God. 
This is the word of God. Man didn't write this all by himself. God is showing the eye that mocks his father and the scorns, it scorns obedience to his mother. Dishonors the parents. God says, I will make sure you get what's coming to you. It's a big thing. In the old covenant, God told the people through Moses, if a youngster is a rascal, disobeys the parents, bring the youngster out and everybody will stone him. End of story. Why? God was there. His glory was right there. They've seen so much that they had to be extremely wicked to overstep everything they've witnessed, eyewitnesses, to the miracles and the awesomeness of God. To have the audacity to break the commandment of God to honor your father and your mother. We know in the New Testament it happened. Drastic measures God took. It's the beginning. It's the foundation. He's got to lay down so nobody thinks they can just bring demons inside. Now that law doesn't hold for us today physically. But still there are physical repercussions. And this word is not simply from the Mosaic law. It's for everyone, for all time. God who sent the ravens to feed Elijah is saying that he will direct the ravens to pick out the eyes or the eye that is dishonoring the parents. And to make it more graphic, so the young eagles will eat it. How horrific. People argue, I haven't seen that happen. I like to believe the Bible, but I just haven't seen ravens come. I saw that kid, bad mouth his mom, has two eyes. God has many means of doing justice. But there's a picture of how severe of a sin he sees it as. You see how the fear of God can be transferred? When somebody reads the word and they understand it, they think twice before violating God's law, his truth, that can bring damage to themselves anyway. There are three things which are too wonderful for me. There's an observation in life and morals and um, the intervention of God. There are three things which are too wonderful for me. Yes, four, which I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the air. It's a majestic bird that glides unlike any other bird in such altitudes. The way of a serpent on a rock. How is it able to manage? doesn't have legs. The way of a ship in the midst of the sea. Such a small object in a vast ocean. How does that navigation happen? Tremendous things in nature and science 
that are involved to keep that vessel afloat and get it get it to the destination. In the way of a man with a maid. The writers in awe. He's horrified. He's also in awe of certain things. So he's thinking this is creation, this is nature, this is the way God has designed certain things and how amazing he is, but I don't know him. Verse 20, this is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wickedness. I was sharing with some brothers the other day. We used to have people come over to the house about 10 years ago. Among them, different gang people. We used to have the Bible study. God touched them powerfully. Got filled with the Holy Spirit. And they went and went to another, uh, the old church or neighborhood, and they brought some people. And those people came and they were very casual, thought it was great having Bible study, we heard great things and we're here. And during the course of that evening, the service, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Pastor and she prophesied. And it was extremely direct. And there were people who were involved in pornography. And nobody told us anything. Nobody told her. And also, they were having women's Bible studies with adulterers sitting right there. Nobody was doing anything about it. Married women. Full-blown adultery. Nobody, the Bible study is going on. And this lady that came here and got baptized in the Holy Spirit, she was concerned. But she didn't tell us. The Spirit of God is working. But she had fear in that place and didn't think to tell us either. And she invited some people from there and the Spirit of God exposed what was going on. Those people, their laughter went away. They became serious and apparently they became indignant because they never came back. But that's just a, a snapshot of a bigger picture that's happening in most places. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wickedness. She takes her fill of everything that is evil and says, I have done nothing evil. Verse 21, for three things the earth is perturbed. Yes, for four it cannot bear up. For a servant, when he reigns, we just read about that in the previous chapter, the servant that is not treated as a servant, but otherwise will end up rebelling, trying to take over. This is not talking about someone like Joseph, God-ordained. This is talking about somebody who is a manipulator and wicked, rebellious. A servant when he reigns. A fool when he is filled with food. 
It says the earth itself is perturbed. There's a disturbance. There's a feeling of it can't take it anymore. Among them is a fool when he's filled with food. Sodom and Gomorrah, not only do they have the heinous sin of violent homosexuality, but they had idols, hands, and a lot of bread. A fool when he's filled with food. A hateful woman when she's married. Another translation may have it hated. Because it's not working out either way. It's the exact opposite of what should be in a maidservant who succeeds her mistress or her boss. God has a divine order and only the wisdom of God can really help us sort things out because we don't have wisdom to match the manipulation and the lies of Satan who will come always to cloud our radar so that we end up going the wrong way in our thoughts, actions, decisions, our endorsements. We need God's Spirit to say, Lord, I'm standing with you. I don't care. What people think, what they say, but I must do what's right in your sight, Lord. You're my closest friend. You're my Savior. There are four things which are little on the earth. See a contrast between that which is good, bad, good. They're little on the earth, but they're exceedingly wise. The answer of people, not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. The rock badgers are feeble folk, yet they make their homes in the crags. The locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. The spider skillfully grasps with its hands, and it is in king's palaces. It's pretty straightforward. These creatures, just creatures, actually show the lack of wisdom that man exercises even at a basic level. Humans, men and women, made in the image of God, can't even act like an ant. That's what it's saying. Can't even act like this rock badger or hyraxis. Locusts, these tiny things, spider, they're just small, these things. But they have some kind of instinctive intelligence that they get the job done and they get it done in a grand way. The preparation, the defense, the skill, the courage, the ability to unify. But what does mankind do? Even the church is sad to say. The Apostle Paul had to deal with that by the Spirit of God. Divisions, divisions, divisions. Clicks here, clicks there. It's the devil that comes in and causes that. And the feelings that may come. These Christians, they're sitting with all this group of people, this race. They're ignoring me. Look at that one over there. It may or may not be the case, but you know what? 
We're called to pray against division and to do things that make for peace. To bring people together in the truth. Even these little creatures know. They don't even have a king. We have a king and he gives the direction. He says, I'm the head, you're the body. You've got to be together. You've got to support one another. You've got to pray. You've got to worship, fellowship, you help each other. We praise God, though these things are brought up as it is in the church at large. It's a fact. It's a fact. The results show how many churches per square mile, if you will, and the effect on the community how little, if any, for God. But praise God where we are, at the mercies of God, there's a genuine revival happening. Barriers that Satan has erected in people's hearts for years, even when they went to church, are destroyed. Hallelujah. There's a love that flows because people are looking at each other as blood brothers and blood sisters. By the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. We're going forward. The unity, according to God's Spirit, because of truth that is preached and truth that is loved and obeyed, there's a genuine unity in this power. Hallelujah. There are three things which are majestic in pace. Yes, four which are stately in walk, a lion which is mighty among beasts, does not turn away from any. A greyhound. A male goat also. And a king whose troops are with him. Obviously, they're placed together because of their stature, their ability among their kind among the beasts their swiftness their power their speed their position this is something admirable but how can we apply it to our lives we are told the qualities there's a courage they cannot be stately in their walk if there's no courage. If this is the fact in nature, three creatures and one a human being, a king, knowing what they possess, in the case of the creatures, they know their abilities instinctively. That's why a lion ventures out to fight with just about any beast usually overcomes. It has that instinctive understanding. I'm the king over here. The greyhound, for its speed perhaps, agility, some translations have it as another creature, but nonetheless, there's some ability that that creature instinctively knows it has. 
it goes forward. A male goat also. You see in the visions, you see the goat. You see the ram. These are creatures that typically are not afraid to fight. Literally but horns. And the king whose troops are with him. Do we know who we are? Our identity in Christ? Do we know what we have standing with us and behind us? According to God's word, because we belong to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, all of His army is behind us because we're His children. We have the DNA, we have the ID card. What prince of what kingdom can ever go undercover maybe to some recreation nobody knows and there some trouble starts the locals say look at the new kid on the block look at his curly hair where did he come from look at him let's go and initiate him you want to come to our area and uh, the prince, not used to this, begins to politely try to get out of it. When they press further, the prince has his associates with him who escorted him there. And all of a sudden the prince changes. He sees that these rascals must be put down immediately. He beckons the associates. Tell my dad to send just two soldiers. I have about 20 of them here. They need to learn a lesson. He knows the identity. He doesn't just act polite and then cower in fear and run away. He knows. I'm the son of the king. I had the entire forces of the kingdom behind me. The other proverb we read in the beginning, the righteous are bold as a lion. God actually expects us to be courageous. He understands when we're afraid. But when you read through the Gospels, when you read through the Old Testament as well, the whole Bible, you really see God saying, don't be afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. Just Him saying that is able to impart you know why? Because it makes us think properly. Something has come in to bring fear, doubt. It's from the enemy. And God is saying, that's not who you are. Because you're with me. I'm with you. I'm in you. You belong to me. You have my DNA. You don't be afraid. Because it reflects on Him too. God is not afraid. God says, I will help you. Here, take hold of my hand. that really impressed me reading the Bible different times different times the Lord rebukes people who are fearful in the revelation he says the cowardly won't enter in it's kind of hard to hear especially when you go through things and you're naturally afraid because you think to yourself I don't know the outcome I'm human but God says I'm with you Aren't I? That's all you need to know. It's going to be okay. Don't be afraid. 
Now God says it in a loving way, but a firm way, in a firm way, but a loving way. And He does expect us to put fear away. That's the truth of Scripture. Anywhere you read it. See the application of how this part of Proverbs. If the creatures can be like that, we heard about David yesterday. He fought with a lion, this mighty beast that typically can rip a human being limb from limb and crush the bones. As the lions in the den where Daniel was let down did to his enemies when they were let down even before their feet hit the ground. It's horrible. This mighty beast, this young boy, overcame to rescue a lamb. We may look at these scriptures and hear the Spirit saying, you need to step up. You can't live like that. How long will you be afraid? And At least we can say with David, what time I'm afraid? When fear comes knocking on the door, I will trust in the Lord. Shout His praises. No, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. We are royalty. We have heaven behind us. That's the truth. If we're the children of God, a and B, walking according to his truth. The righteous are bold as a lion. Not hypocrites in Zion, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Verse 32, if you have been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you have devised evil, put your hand on your mouth. We heard another proverb recently. Let another person's lips praise you, not your own. It's not good. Honey is good, but not too much. Don't receive flattery. Don't give flattery. How do you not receive flattery? What do you say? You tell the person, could you please stop flattering me? Not really. But inwardly, you can rebuke that spirit. Hallelujah. We fight the forces of evil that come through people's mouths. Sometimes even people close to us who are Christians. We recognize that by the Holy Spirit if we're walking with God. You know that's trouble. Trying to incite pride and make you take your eyes off of the God of grace by whose power you breathe. Begin to shift focus ever so slightly to you. And what you can do, what you've done. Look at how they love you. We're not here to absorb people's energies. Be a performer, like many performers say. I missed the live audience because I missed the interaction. And how many comedians and singers and entertainers are in hell today? They got all the power of the energy of the audience, live audience. The interaction, what a camaraderie. They love me. They've been told they love you. Give them what they came for. Don't stay too long. Leave just in time so they want more, but they can't have it now. Next time they'll be even hungrier. 
That's how the world operates. These tactics of the enemy to feed one's ego. Put your hand on your mouth if you devised evil or if you've been foolish in exalting yourself. We can rebuke the spirit that comes even when we're by ourselves. There's a shift in, isn't that wonderful what I did? She appreciated me. He appreciated me. They all love me. I feel good today. Something wrong with that picture. Although we can feel good when there's sincere commendation, recognition, we know that God is doing this. We feel good. But when the focus shifts to us and we live for that, there's a big problem. God says, you live for the honor that comes from me, not the one that comes from people. I'll bring that to you from the people. It'll always happen when we're walking right, sooner or later. But that's not what we live for. And we can gauge ourselves. How much are we bent toward that? You know how? When you get on Facebook, you're anxious to see how many likes and how many people saw it. And it's a different thing when it comes to ministry. When you see how many people have heard the word that you shared and you want to pray for them and you want more people to hear. But we have to be honest. We really have to be honest and say, Lord, is that I can say that. I can really say that. It sounds wonderfully uh, spiritual, but is that the fact, Lord? Is that what I really am thinking? Is that my real motivation? Or am I trying to be politically correct in the kingdom of God? Bring in another agenda and stand it all together. Why does the Word of God record these things? Because these are things that bring people down, including Christians and Christian leaders. It's true. Pride comes before the fall and flattery will fuel that. Self-flattery especially. I thank God because you may be listening this morning and saying, I have no problem with flattery, Pastor. Can we go to the next verse, please? It may be that you don't even know that you have a problem with it. Or, it may be the case that you've dealt with it and you truly don't have a problem with it. But you know what? We need to hear the truth. Why? Because any one of us can slip if we don't have the living word continuously pumping that life from the vine into each of us, the branches. We've got to have the continuous flow. We can't say, I, I've got a, the flow now, I can go. I'm a branch. I've got a pint of the blood from the vine. I can go off on my own. It doesn't work that way. There's a continuous life flowing that comes from the Word of God. For as the churning of milk produces butter and wringing the nose produces blood, so the forcing of strife of wrath rather produces strife milk churning 
goes through the process to produce butter. And there's a process, if blood comes out of the nose, it gets twisted. And there's a cause and effect. Nose gets struck, injured, blood's going to come. If you beat the cream, as I said in the NLT versions, it yields butter. If you stir up anger, you're going to have a fight. It ends with that, but we know the solution. All over Proverbs and the Bible, the rest of the Bible. He said, don't feel that. You notice something's ticking somebody off or beginning to get under your skin. Stop right there. Say, Lord, help me. Rebuke you, spirit of anger. Get angry at the devil. And the inciting that he tries to do. Get angry at the flesh. You're crucified with Christ. The all old nature. Lord, let me be a peacemaker. Lord, let me walk away from this, if possible. Let me begin to call on your name, even under my breath, while the quarrel seems to be brewing. Lord, this hostility has come against me. I curse that evil spirit in Jesus' name. We have seen that happen. Perhaps you have. When trouble brews, when you rebuke it in the name of Jesus, under your breath, when you can't do it out loud, or it's not wise to, the evil spirit gets shut down. Hallelujah. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Which strongholds? There's nothing mentioned as an exclusive set only. Anything the devil tries to throw at us to bring us down, we have the weapons to handle him. By the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus, by the name of Jesus, by the word of God. Many different things. God gives word pictures, analogies, metaphors. God just uses every uh, device literary device, if you will, and uh, communicative pathways to get to us, to tell us. This is what sin looks like. And you thought this wasn't it? Well, this is also. Now you know the standard. Let's shape up. Because if you're in line with me, aligned with my will, you'll be like an arrow in my hand. I can use you to hurt the devil and set his slaves free who will become my children through you. Why? Because you're really consecrated. You really are reading the word of God word for word. And when you get to things such as these sayings and Proverbs, you don't just think, that's strange and this is nice and let me go on. You ask the Lord and you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, even in a meeting like this. This is how it's applied. 
Lord, I need training. Lord, I need to be taught of you. Lord, I can see I can be more humble than I have become. I can really see that I can be more loving than I am. Lord, I can see that I can be more on guard against these hidden sins like flattery and self-flattery and wrong motivations. Nobody sees it. I don't even see it myself most of the time. But your Holy Spirit and your Word reveal because you love me and you want to change me, Lord, to be the real servant of God, child of God that you want me to be so I can be your representative speaking what I actually live living what I speak not according to my sermons my own ways according to the word of God shall we pray thank you Father in heaven Oh Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you Lord for this Proverbs 30. Oh Lord, thank you Jesus. It's the truth we need Lord. We surrender to you. I surrender to you Lord. I need you moment by moment Lord. I need you Lord. To help me to just do what you say. To just seek the honor that comes from you. please you Lord to be a pleasing sacrifice I pray Lord that every brother every sister would have the genuine desire genuine cry and then take action by listening very carefully to the word of God and apply it to their hearts thoroughly and not superficially thank you Father in heaven thank you Lord I praise your holy name you are God and there is none other Lord I bless your name Lord Forgiving grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace to every brother, sister, Lord who needs deliverance and healing and blessing from you. Father, open doors. Even today I pray to bless your people. And may they wear the helmet of salvation to protect them, Lord. every piece of armor, the shield of faith, to be bold as a lion, Lord, to have the belt of truth, to have the feet shod with the preparation, ready, the gospel of peace, to have the breastplate of true righteousness, doing life, handling people exactly the way you want, Lord truth and love Heavenly Father I pray may they have a firm grasp on the sword of the spirit be skillful in knowing how to use it against the enemy everywhere they turn Lord that the garden of their hearts and of the treasure in the kingdom you've entrusted to their care will be guarded like the Garden of Eden with the flaming sword from the cherubim going every which way to prevent 
trespassing and intrusion. Thank you, Jesus. May we keep our hearts, Lord, pure before you. By your precious blood, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.